All right. We are live. We got special guest Michael Walker on the show tonight. Alabama striper guide. What's going on, Wes? Uh, waiting for Walker to show up. Ladies, you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, better late than never. Well, I went deer hunting this weekend. First time I'd ever done that. I wanted to go see what that was like. And it was pretty cool. I got to see yeah. what the lifestyle was all about. I seen that video on YouTube today. Yeah, we did. We ended up, something ended up coming up and uh, we had to take off early. Uh, Alan had to get back, but uh, we were going to hunt Saturday morning. We ended up coming back Friday night. And he showed me a, a pic on his phone from his, uh, his trail cam. He said, man, you're going to be sick. I said, what? Biggest buck you ever seen on the trail cam at 8 o'clock that morning. I was sick. Right. But, you know, yeah. I probably wouldn't have pulled the trigger on him, but it would have been cool to have the opportunity, though. Oh, right there. It, it come up on the spot where you were going to be hunting. Yep. yep. That'll do it. That'll do it. But, you know, I don't, I still, you know, I've never been a deer hunter and I still don't see the, uh, what everybody sees in it. I mean, I think it's a lot to do with how you were raised. And I think a lot of it's probably nostalgia for a lot of guys. But for me, I just don't, I don't see it. I just can't, I don't, I don't have that. It's not drawing me to it like fishing does. Yeah, it's kind of like my stock is bigger than yours. My boat's bigger than yours. Right. Yeah. And uh, the similarities, there's a lot of similarities between fishing and hunting. Um, you know, moon phases, lunar phases, uh, when and how they feed, and, you know, how the bigger ones are smarter. And, you know, it's uh, a lot of similarities. You know, the, barometric pressure, all that stuff affects them just like fishing. Well, I killed a deer last year. It wasn't that big a deer. They just wouldn't. I'm kind of like you. There's just nothing that really draws me to it. Uh, you know, I was looking down the street with a muzzle loader, a 50 cal muzzle loader. I shot it down down and killed uh, just, you know, I know, you know, if you like it, that's your thing, it's fine. You know, people talk about how smart deer are, you know, there's male, um, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot more to it if I'd have into it, but I try to, you know, a lot of people try fishing one time, catch fish, and it's on the field for them, so I just want to practice. Yeah, you're right. I've often wondered, like, what I see in fishing, you know, because people want to go, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, it's not as fun as you think it is, you know, but if it's, if I really meant that, like, why do I do it? So, I mean, I, it's got a lot to do with maybe how you were raised. I, I swear. I think it's got a lot to do with nostalgia. The reasons we do what we do. Well, you know, I guess it's, I heard a man say one time, that's why they call fishing and not catching. Uh, if you enjoy fishing, you enjoy fishing. If you enjoy catching, Fishing's not your thing. 
because you're, the odds are you're going to carry more you go. Odds are you're going to catch less than you do. You, you won't catch as much fish as you think you should have fished. I went a lot of trips. I made many trips to Tennessee, stay two or three days, and get a bite. And the spring. Yeah. Matthew Miles said something about uh, something special about harvesting your own deer, butchering the meat, and enjoying the food with your family. I agree. I agree with that. But the type of hunting I did, Matthew, we we ran out and we poured out a bag of corn and we sat there and we waited on the. And my friend told me that you can't just go put out a bag of corn and expect a deer to come. Like you have to go go bait a hole with corn. Like basically every week, like don't let it run out, replenish the corn once a week and, you know, however long it takes, then you'll get deer coming in. So I told him another similarity to fit similarity to fishing is I said, it's, it's kind of like a dock light or a, a fishing light. If you go out with a submersible light and you put a light in the water or a dock light, somebody puts a dock light on their dock. You're not going to get a lot of fish that first night. You know, it might take a month, but once those fish realize that that food source is going to be there every single day, then they'll eventually, they just keep coming back and more, more and more Noah get to learn about it. And they just keep coming back, keep coming back before you know it, you got four or five deer coming to that corn pile every day and you can just go out there and just shoot one. And it's just, it seems extremely unsportsmanlike. Now I do realize there are other forms of hunting ways to hunt that is a lot more sportsmanlike, but. The way I did it, as far as the corn and everything, eh, it just it doesn't do much for me. Well, you know, I, I, I've heard people talk to you about fishing and they don't. All you're doing is going out there and the hook. You're, you're trying to catch a fish because you're hungry. You're eating both. You know, that's not what they do, you know, hunting deer over corn. Um, the kind my, of my, my family, I've always said, if you want to impress me, get the deer done. (laughs) That's funny. The kind of hunting I did, I think, is more along the lines of carp fishing. or It's kind of like going to bait a hole, like when you're fishing. You know how a lot of guys will go out and they'll they'll bait a hole and they'll go back the next day. Not chumming, not where you're like anchored in shallow water and you're getting a chum slick going, etc. I'm talking about where you actually go and – you put a huge cylinder with holes in it, slap full of cat food or whatever type of chum you want in there, and you actually bait a hole. Like that's the kind of hunting I think I did this weekend. Well, you know, you, you got a lot of guys they they fish all the way up to hunt season, and as soon as the hunt season goes, they're right back on water. Me personally, the best thing I like about hunting season. Is I got the lake to myself. Amen. Amen to that. The, there's a lot less boats on the water because everybody's hunting. I love that. It's one of my favorite times of the year. Yeah. But, Wade Burdett said something about marinating cut bait behind Azara spooks is more fun to you than chasing split toes. What's what going that? on, Ronnie? Can you see the comments, Wes? Yeah, I can see a few. I don't know. Let's see, I'm looking at him on the tablet over here. Uh, 
New York. Shane, Shane Allison said, I killed a little and fucked in the truck. Better meet me for the drag. Chris Holmes wants to know if the two arm attack is on the cage. Dustin, Dustin Cage, that little blueberry you come in that cage when y'all doing the drawing. When I do that right there, hey, Mr. Dustin, let you know I need you to come draw my number. Hey, uh, Matthew or anyone else, how is my audio sounding and how is Wes's sounding to y'all? Are we sounding okay? Maurice. Maurice, we tried to go live on YouTube on our new channel, but I'd forgotten that you got to have a thousand subscribers to go live on YouTube. So we weren't able to start our new channel. So we're going to figure something out with that. Okay, my audio is good, Wes. Matthew says your audio sounds muffled. All right. Is that that? Well, we got my phone problem. Kind of, let's see. Hold on. Let's see if I can prop it up where it's not on the speaker. I doubt I can. All right, Matthew, is that any better? Yeah. Let's see. I'm getting a feedback. Yeah, you got a little feedback. It's still, it's adequate. I mean, I can hear what you're hey, saying. Hold on. Hold on one second. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't have nothing to volume on. I'm trying to volume down on it. So I don't know. Okay. So it may be, I'm trying to get rid of the comments. So it may be in there a little bit. Can you see the comments too now? Yeah, I can see the comments. Okay, I'm gonna put this camera on the other side. Three. 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 Guys, we're supposed yeah. to have Michael Walker on. He said it, uh, he was gonna try to get on in a little bit. We'll see if he comes. Is that is that any better? That's way better. What did you okay. do? I just moved the tablet away from uh facing this way from the tablet. I got a, uh, I actually have a mic, Matthew. I um grabbed one of my shotgun mics and somehow got it working. All right. So. Just don't forget you're picking your audio up from your phone. So when you talk, look yeah. at your phone. Bring on Hovis till Walker gets in. Hey, we can. You want to bring Hovis in? I don't care. Yeah, we'll bring Hovis in. All right, Hovis, here comes an invite, man. Uh, yeah. All right, I sent Hovis an invite. Uh, All right, we can talk about some Catawba River stripers with Hovis. That's um, that's in, I know a lot about that, so we'll be able to carry on a little conversation. Do what, Wes? 
Uh, the Canaba, well, you know, it depends on what you consider big. <laughs> Compared to Tennessee, no. <laughs> you know, there, there's some um, there's some 20 to 30 pounders on Rhodius. Um, that is the second lake on the chain somebody said Hovis getting taller next to him somebody said Hovis what Ricky Hart just said Hovis getting taller next to him here we go now you know J.R. people talk about you know big fish and I can remember the first driver I had on Lake Garden at home was, I think, 23, 24 pounds. And I'm going to tell you, I was just ecstatic. I just thought there was nothing like it. Um, you know, and, and even today, I mean, I'm not saying this bragging or putting myself on the back. I've caught a lot of big fish. You know, I've caught three fish over 50 pounds. Some people also just thought water, the fish water, you know, it, to me, a 50 pound fish is a 50 pound fish, a 10 pound fish is a 10 pound fish. You it put Alan on one, one over 50. Alan's got uh, one on one on his wall that he caught while on your boat that was over 50. Yeah, he got one 55 on my boat. Fiberglass mount, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Did they do a good job on it? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome looking. But, you know, to me, if I go fishing in Tennessee, I get a couple 20-pound fish. That's a good class of fish. A 20-pound sucker. Yeah. A striped bass has got a lot of years. I, I don't know the, the ratios, but a 20-pound stop has been in the water a long time. Wes, if you could probably get slightly closer to your phone, it'll probably improve your audio a good bit. I know Daniel Skipper just said, we can't hear nothing you're saying. Okay, how's it? It's like it sounds great initially. Like, say something else. Something else? It's like it's uh, it's getting muffled there at the very end of what you're saying every time. It sounds great, then it goes then it goes to sounding muffled. Uh, not everything shut off. It should be. There's uh, no volume up on that. Let me try turning this volume down a little bit. Let's see. Is that better? Say something else. Something else. Yeah, it sounds okay. Uh, have you tried taking it out of your case? Uh, you, no, I'm not going to get off. I said this thing's in an otter box. Oh, it's in an otter box. Okay. Never so mind. That was really <laughs> but I'm at the, my open one, my otter box is just wide open. I was thinking maybe your mic port might be a little clogged with, you know, those otter you know, boxes. Maybe I've thick. had this phone under quite a few houses. How's that? That's all I got. Man, that sounds perfect. What did you that do? Better? That's a perfect, yeah. I'm not going to tell you what I did to it. What did you do to it? <laughs> you blew it out. <laughs> yeah, it must have just had a piece of lint or something in it. Where's Hovis at? Hovis still hasn't shown up. He's scared. Yeah, he must be scared. I mean, Skipper's on here. We can bring in yeah. Skipper. What's up, Skipper? To. I hate to be bringing in the guests that we have scheduled for a show, though. Well. Because we got him scheduled for Thursday, right? Yeah. Who? Uh, Skipper said I can't go live. Okay. Never mind. Good. 
Yeah, Hovis, Hovis and uh, Skipper's going to be on Thursday. Hey, Chris Hovis, I sent you an invite to come on here with us for a few minutes if you want. We'll talk, mm-hmm. we'll talk about some Catawba River striper fishing. Hey, JR, why are we waiting? You know, I, I did a post a couple months ago, and everybody thought it was, you know, one of those posts I like to put up just to get people arguing or commenting. Mm-hmm. But what about stinger hooks? You know, I see, I, I know a lot of people use them. I've tried them. I, I just, it just, to me, it just tears the fish's mouth all the hell. And I've had two fish to swallow them, get down in their gut, and I couldn't get them out, so I quit using them. I don't use stinger hooks no um, I'm just wondering, you know, for most people, are they worth the trouble? And people say, yeah, I've caught big fish, you know, that I wouldn't have caught without the stinger hook. But I just can't see catching a 30 or 40 pound fish with a little three out hook in his mouth. You know, I, well, I don't if see you how look, do it. look in the saltwater world, <laughs> I said that kind of funny. Look in the saltwater world and look at a king rig. You know, a king rig is nothing but a, you know, single strand wire with a haywire twist and another, uh, a stinger hook. That is the rig. The rig itself has an actual stinger hook made onto it. So, yeah, you know, you're trolling pretty fast for some kings. You know, even if you're using, uh, you know, uh, live pogies, you're, you know, you could be trolling up to two, four, even six miles an hour with, you know, live pogies. So I think, um, a stinger hook is going to benefit you a little more if you're, if you're trolling fast, maybe. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if you're trolling slow, I don't know that that would be my opinion on it. You know, if you're, if you're doing what you're calling, uh, what did you call it when you're going down the river and surfing, you got the boards out on the river. You know, and you're going with the current maybe a little bit faster than the current to keep the boat, you know, control of the boat or whatever. Keep the board down. You know, it might, it, maybe it would benefit you to run stinger hooks. You know, I know the guys that I went with, Hovis and Real and Skipper, they didn't want no stinger hooks on their stuff. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you, we can talk about something else too. Talk about Tennessee. You know, everybody, I remember my wife, we were talking about four years ago. And you know, I took kind of back in the competition and was really going to do it, you know, it'll be not hard to hear. And she had she she Googled it one night. She said she said, baby, she said, this is the best place to take fish stop at Tennessee. And I looked at her, I said, I ain't driving three and a half four ostrich go down fish. And now here I am five hours later. Uh, you know, everybody talks about guys and you know, they keep talking about me about kayaks and then Everybody out there knows each other about using guys. But if you go to Tennessee or if you go to anybody in the water and you don't know what you're doing, you've never been there, and you don't hire a guide if you really want to do, you're stupid. Well, you're either stupid or you're a purist or you're broke. You know, yeah. there are there there are reasons to, to not hire a guide and you know, um, a lot of guys, they just they just want to learn on their own because they don't really they love the sport so much that they don't care about getting skunked. They want to go learn it on their own. They want to fish the body of water until they learn the seasonal patterns. They learn the the structure, you know how the fish 
are reacting to this, that, or the other. They just want to go put in the time and until they uh, get it on their own. Um, I know when I first got addicted to striper fishing, you know, that's the, the Zara spooks, the red fins, you know, I would take a red fin and I would take a quarter and I would scrape the red, the paint off the red fin until I got that bone color underneath it. And uh, I would experiment with different baits. I, I got to where I would use stu other stuff other than a red fin because red fins are what everybody used. So I started experimenting with other hard plastics and I ended up uh, liking the bomber long a better than I did the red fin. I ended up catching more striper on top water with a bomber long a than I did a red fin. I would use the head and spitting image or the head and swimming image. I would use the man stretch uh, baits, the, not the big uh, deep diving uh, saltwater uh, baits, but I would use the smaller man stretch hard plastics. And, yeah. You know, and especially as they're a spook, you know, as they're a spook, you know, you walk in the dog and it's just nothing is funner than walking the dog with a spook. You know, you got it's a it's a $4 hard plastic, you know, and a striper comes up and slaps it with his tail and you just you eventually learn not to yank and you just continue to walk the dog even after the striper has slapped it with its tail, which is that takes some experience to do. But you just start, you know, the birds, the early mornings, the fog on the water, you know, you know how striper fishing is. The, yeah. You start to research it online and most of your used to most of your content online was saltwater, you know, so you're seeing images of Boston whalers, you know, going out, you know, Cape Henry, Chesapeake Bay. You know, I remember going to Chesapeake Bay in, in 2010, 2011, somewhere around in there. And there was right whales out in the the mouth of the bay. My, my cousin and I were out there, and we were in my boat, and the, the birds had painted the sky black. It was the most unrealistic thing you'd ever seen in your life. It was like something out of a out of a movie. The birds were the sky was painted black. They would get into formation and they would start dive bombing. And they would just get faster and faster and faster, and just fish busting, blitzing everywhere right wells coming up and we're in like you know four even six foot swells with not much dominant period and it's just you know big boats twice the size of ours are turning around and going they're not even going out there they're coming back in and i told my cousin i was like let's just stay out here long enough to catch two fish you you wanted me one and yeah. you know and here we are we're catching 30 30 and 40 pounders just pretty quick you know just trolling mojos through there and uh you know there's nothing like it it's just striper fishing is just um it's the moby dick fit of fishing it just gives you this yeah. this it's hard to explain but it's a, it's a very good feeling yeah chad Allen, um i see chad is in the middle of Tennessee. chad just thinking why it's way more rewarding to do it on the line well it is but you got to draw the line somewhere chad you know I mean, if you're going out there and you're just you're getting skunked and you're getting skunked and you're getting skunked. <laughs> Eventually, you know, it would probably behoove you to give, you know, Lee Huffman or Clint Lassard or whoever, you know, whatever guide or charter, you know, if, if you can afford it, you know, and it's, you get a couple of guys together and usually it's, it turns out being cheaper than going on a trip and doing it on your own, you know, because if you go on a trip, and you do it on your own. You got a lot of prepping. 
You got a lot of tackle, a lot of gear going into that trip, a lot of gas. It's, you know, you're pulling a boat, you know, depending on where you're going. If you're going to Tennessee from where I live, you're looking at four hours up a mountain and it's just, it's a lot. You actually come out better just, just paying a guide, but. Well, here's my take on it. The main reason, of course, I hired a guide. I wanted to see how they fished up there. The other big point, and especially when you're going to body for water like Tennessee, you know, everybody, everybody on here, I'm sure, heard of the Canyon Fork. Everybody here's heard about the Cumberland. Everybody knows old history, knows what's coming. If you don't know these waters up there, there's you've got a lot of places on these rivers that's full of rocks. They're eat up the proper certain houses a year. But if you don't know how to run these rivers, you're gonna start losing more year. You're gonna start messing your props up. Uh you gotta learn how to yeah. Anthony Johnson just lost one this past yeah. year, didn't he? Yeah. Yep. You know, the big thing up there in Tennessee and Chris Hogan, T. Evans, Michael Walker, Shane Real, they'll tell you. These water discharges, you got to know how to read them. You know, and Chris Hovis has been going to Tennessee for years. He's been, I mean, Hovis has been up there 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, and, and he's got stuck up there before. And it wasn't because he didn't check, check the, the schedule. They changed the schedule. So you got to keep it in the back of your mind. At any given time, you can be up that river fishing. And if they slow that generation down and they slow it down and it's not on schedule for you, you're stuck. And I've heard of people being stuck up there three or four days on the boat. So there's a lot more. When you go fishing a space like Tennessee, there's a whole lot more than even than just hiring a guy. Exactly you know, you right. You got, there's a lot of things you got to learn in this process because if you don't, unless you've got plenty, plenty of money to replace crops and lower units, and you just like spending it's a just, half It's not, it's not feasible. Fish. It's but just not, not plausible for... Like, like when I used to fish Tennessee, you know, I'm, I'm just a, a freshwater landlocked, you know, stop by the bait shop, get the four inch herring. You know, I'm using, you know, two, two watt circle hooks with Carolina rigs. I'm putting a couple down rods out, a couple boards on each side, a couple free lines and, you know, maybe a, a ready rig float out the back. And, you know, I'm trolling, you know, point. 0.5 point up to 0 0.7 0 0.8 miles an hour or you know 0.2 as slow as 0.2 and i'm trolling these uh, you know these reservoirs with very little current you know lake murray uh all the lakes on the catawba you know rhodius and hickory and norman and you know i'm going to watery and and then you go to tennessee and like you all of that basically all of that knowledge and way of doing things down here doesn't work in tennessee so, I mean, it does, it does, but you're going to catch small fish, you know, that, and I'm going up to the boils, I'm casting fish and I'm casting bait in the, uh, in between the boils up at the dams. I'm catching, you know, smaller fish in the summertime, you know, we catch a 20 pounder and we think we got a trophy. Well, little do we know that there are monsters out in, on the Cumberland and, and these other areas in Tennessee that are, that are a little, you know, away from these, uh, these tail races and uh yeah i never knew about those locations those are the locations you're talking about tearing your props up and stuff so. well do you remember i'm not going to say it on here but everybody knows most people know where i fish and what i do but you remember the first night that i actually met you when alan was together and i told y'all that next night i said i'm gonna take y'all to the best place i know to catch the trophy fish up 
Yes. So you and Glenn are uh, Alan. No, Alan. Oh, Lacey. Lacey. It's me and Lacey. You, yeah. You and Lacey have just called me. He said we got a big fish on the boat. He sent us a picture. Yeah. yeah it was, the fish we caught was probably thirty. We caught a thirty plus. It was thirty. Yeah. It was a good fish. It was a real good fish. And Alan got that forty-three. Yeah, Alan had went with Wes on his boat, and see, Lacey and Alan and I had went up there. We were all fishing from Alan's boat, his Carolina skiff, and we uh, met. Well, Alan had never met Wes, so I introduced uh, Alan and Lacey to Wes. We were at Bows, and Alan and Wes just hit it off, and. Uh, Wes was like, one of y'all can go on my boat with me if you want, because he was actually going solo, and me and Alan and Lacey was going to be on Alan's boat. So me being the uh, Chuck Woolery that I am, said, Alan, you go with Wes. So Alan jumps on the boat with Wes. We take off. He jumps on the boat with Wes. Me and Lacey are fishing in Alan's boat. So I put out some boards, and uh, I forget what what were we – I don't know what bait we had. It seems yeah. like we were using – trout okay so i put out a trout on a board and i pull it up uh pull it up shallow pretty close to the bank and uh i told lacy i was like as soon as we get past this point i said we're gonna get a pull down and sure enough man exactly it happened exactly like that as soon as we as soon as we got past that point that board went crazy and I let Lacey catch it. Lacey got on the rod. He got the fish in. And it was, we didn't measure or weigh the fish, but I got the video on YouTube. It was easily a 30 plus pound fish. It was a monster. Yeah. And Lacey, Lacey was super excited. He was like, man, we done got on Alan's boat and caught the biggest fish that's ever been on his boat. And we, you know, we kicked him and we kicked Alan and Wes's butt, you know, we, this, that, and the other. Then we, we get down there. We meet up with you guys later, you and Alan and Alan holds up this 46 pound absolute behemoth <laughs> that was a, that was a good night hey he when he caught that fish as soon as i made it put it in the boat I, I i was trying to get the hook out of his mouth and i went to release it and i told alan i said hand me the boat hand me the uh fish with before you get him back in the water and get his picture right quick alan was already on the phone with his father he mounted that. Didn't he mount that fish? Yeah, he, he mounted did, that, fish. Mounted that fish. No, uh, Broom mounted it in the, the first Bessemer City. Yeah. It was, um, ah, heck. What is his name? This He's the taxidermist around here. His, his last name's Broom. He'd done a fish uh, that my cousin caught with me uh, a few years ago. He's pretty good. I didn't realize how good some of these taxidermists are. You know, I thought that this guy was good, but I've, I've seen some pictures since then of some stripers that some guys have done a spectacular job on. It's, it's unreal how good some of these guys are on mounting these fish. Yeah. Well, my first big stripper, I had a guy, um, and he was referring, you know, and it wasn't a guy I thought was referring to me, but I think it was this guy down in Georgia. And uh, and he called me about maybe two months later and said, your fish is done. And I said, really? 
I said, two months? He said, Mountain. I thought it took him at least a great month to draw him out. You know, I, I, I didn't really know that how about it at the time. Yeah. And uh, I thought, send me a picture of it. So he sent me a picture of it, and I put it on Facebook, and I just couldn't believe it, man. It, he actually, of course, it went the fish that I left him. You know, you couldn't see the belly. I mean, this looked like a 20 pound fishing bag. He had actually sewed the fish in the front instead of the back, and he tried to cover it up with a black marker or a black paint or whatever. And I told him, and I, and I tried to be respectful because he was an older cat. I said, sir, I said, that's not the fish I left you. I said, and I really hope you don't think I'm fixing to bring you $600. And he said, well, what am I supposed to do with it? So I really have that one off. I said, sir, I'm not going to tell you what I think you should do with it, but you're welcome to do with it. But I'm not going to take it up. You have a good day. So I wound up having to get a guy in Stewart, Florida, made a replica for me. Um, he didn't have a mold that big, so he made it close as he could get. Um, and he did a good job on it, but it's not, you know, it's not my fish, but, you know, we live in love. Yeah. Daniel Skipper, how's my audio? Is mine trash too? He said your audio was trash, Wes. I think your audio is fine. I can hear what you're saying. Well, I don't know. He said if y'all um, can't get Wednesday's audio, I think he meant to say Wes. Yeah. Audio any better, you should trash the show. <laughs> Skipper, Skipper, be nice, man. <laughs> oh, hey, yeah, we couldn't even have a show if we was on Skipper's water, Waterloo Wireless in there. So, you know, that's why you know, if we have Skipper on the show next week, he's going to have to he's going to have to leave Lawrence or maybe leave Greenwood and go over to Lawrence, other side of Lawrence, or maybe go to McDonald's parking lot and get a Wi Fi. <laughs> that's hey. funny. <laughs> But I love watching Skipper uh, post his picks because, you know, I used to fish Clark Hill a good bit. And, you know, people, it's Clark Hill's tough. You know, you'll, the thing about striper fishing, even if you go with a guide on these reservoirs, these, you know, southeastern reservoirs like Clark Hill, you can go with a guide and he can put you on the fish, you know, and you'll, you'll fill a 120 quart cooler up and just be excited. And, you know, you'll, you'll have, you know, 40 fish and you know you take home all that meat and you know you, you go back and you try to do it again and you go where that guy took you and you get skunked and um because those fish move you know it's these uh this wintertime fishing the, the summertime fishing you know these these fish they 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 get schooled up in certain areas and these guides they stay on top of them you know that's why you're paying that guide because he is putting in the time it takes to stay on top of those fish. You know, all, all we can do is go where we think they should be. Yeah. Well, you know, there again, Tennessee, these rivers, especially this time of year right now, those river systems, the Cumberland River right now, and I'm roughly in Tennessee, there's probably 300 miles a day of that river right now that's got the same water system. When you got water temperature like that, where those fish are not stressed nowhere, and they're swimming a boat, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, people talk about Tennessee, the easy button. There's no easy button in Tennessee in the wintertime. 
there's no easy button anywhere. I mean, we, we can't see these fish. I mean, you know, you got guys spending $6,000 on their electronics. I mean, just to see a, the, you know, the, the return on a sonar. Yeah. You know, it's not like any other sport, you know, fishing is the only sport. You can't see the fish. You can't see your opponent, but Scott Perry, funny story. Yeah. I'd love for you to put me on some good fish at the hill. You know, that's, I've uh, got a love hate relationship with the hill. I'd go down, I've went down there and I've done very well, you know, catching hybrids at the dam. And then I've went back and, you know, not done so well. And as far as pulling baits for bigger fish, I haven't done that well. You know, I've caught some, some halfway, you know, some teenagers out there years ago, but nothing ever big. And that was back when people were still catching big fish on the hill, but I was out there one night and I was casting a bomber long a, and, uh, we were as met my cousin and I, I used to fish a lot with my cousin and we had a light out and we were, you know, catching, you know, down, downlining for hybrids at night. And, uh, I could hear a few fish busting here and there. So I, and the, it, with the wind kind of picked up a little bit. So I threw a bomber long a out there and I was reeling it in. And while I was reeling it in, my, my cousin got a fish on. So I, I lied, I laid the rod down and grabbed the net and helped him net his fish, got the fish in the boat. And about that time, well, actually I, I didn't, I laid the rod down in a, in a rod holder. The one that I had just casted out with the bomber long a, the bomber long a is just, just setting on the top of the water out there. So I helped my, my cousin get his fish in. And as soon as we get his fish over the gunnel, that bomber long a rod doubles over a fish hit that bomber long a without it even being worked. It was just sitting out there on the top of the water. So a striper, I'm assuming it was a striper because he was, you know, had that big initial run. Anyways, that was the, that was my chance at a decent fish on the hill. And, uh, he ended up breaking me off, man. The, the fish double over. I had the drag too tight. It was on a spinning reel and, uh, you know, it went under the boat and, uh, just, it popped my line. I thought I probably had, you know, 12 pound mono or something like that. I don't know what I had on back then, but it doubled over and uh, I felt, you know, how you can feel if the fish is a good hefty fish and I felt it and. It, you know, he popped me. So it just inexperience and, yeah. but it was cool that he hit that bomber long ages out there floating on top of the water like that. So you like, the <laughs> I used to, I used to fish the hill, you know, you know, back in, you know, 2007, eight, you know, the hill was producing some really good fish back in the day. You know, what I had a friend of mine, that? he was, he was going down there, getting in the SBC, and just wrecking people with with thirties, you know, winning tournaments. But uh, all I see now are skipper fish. <laughs> all I see now is them party fish. I, I tell you, that, there's a lot of traffic. Now, skipper did show me. He never said me nothing about skipper fish. I didn't always know. But he showed me a lot about traffic fishing because. There's a thing about striper. Uh, a striper is kind of like a neighbor fish. You'll catch a big striper, but you'll get to your neighbor. You catch a bunch of traffic, you never catch enough traffic, you ain't getting nothing. So, it, you know, I catch, I, I learned how to catch these fish for the most part because nobody will get it. I love catching. That's my favorite fish to eat. I bet uh, you were using those jigs, weren't you? No, no. I'm, I'm a lazy person. I don't know how to yeah, oh, okay. I've got, okay. I've got a $3,800 duck camera in my boat. I've got to go over front. Uh, Skipper, Skipper uses those. He uses uh, those little, um, what are they called? Fish stalker 
jigs, saw yeah. plastics. Yeah. Yeah. Those are some good ones. You can't read a lot, man. I bet you a hundred dollars I can. Shit, I get on the break files right up on the drop a minute. Oh down, man, man. Uh, I'll murder good. I'll murder you with a I ain't even gonna say it. It's a secret. Well come I'll on fish, down here. I'll murder you with a fish stalker. Well, you come on down here. Let's get on the bus, pal. I guarantee you, I'll catch five to one. With okay, I'll have to do that. We'll have to do that one day. Can I keep? Can I keep one catch? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not. I don't feel like cleaning them. So I got you boosted up already. I'm gonna. I'll just go down there and find you a bus, pal. Now, I think about time the long line for them now. If I ain't mistaken, but. I've I've won this exact same bet with with several guys over the years. It's. You, you can't beat a, um, those type of jigs that me and Skipper, and I'm sure a ass load of other people use. I just don't want to say the name of them because they're kind of – not a whole lot of people know about them. Can you still hear me, JR? I can't. Your audio sounds better than it sounded all night when you just said that. Okay. Now, for some reason or another, Shane Howickson just tried to call me, and I had to hit ignore. And now I can barely hear you. Well, you sound better than you've sounded all night. Well, now I'm gonna have to get the little man to start calling me right before broadcast, and y'all be able to hear me good. <laughs> You're perfect. Your audio is perfect now. Uh, let's see. Well, don't look like Walker's gonna show up. Corey Sharp said, "Underpowered, Jr." I don't know what that means. Daniel Rush said, Wes, I love you, bud. Uh, Scott Perry, never pan fished before. And Skipper said, I'll skin both your ass with a Snoopy rod and a slab tail. Skipper, you ain't gonna you ain't gonna you ain't gonna do it, buddy. That rod I left it. I didn't know I left a rod in your boat, Daniel Skipper. I want my stuff back. Richard is full of malarkey. <laughs> Wes fixing to get you back on Tennessee River in three, two, one. <laughs> hey, Daniel. You're all avid that you don't use. Wes over there watching Blacklist. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm a Raymond Reddington fan. <laughs> That's hilarious. <coughs> but yeah, Daniel Skipper, uh, Skipper's a hell of a fisherman. I mean, he does it every day. He's got a passion for it. He knows what he's doing. Um, best $75 ever spent. Yeah. That's an inside joke. A lot of people will get that. Some people won't. Hmm. Sea trout tastes better than crappy. Does what? Does sea, sea trout taste better than crappy? Sea trout. Yeah, that's um blasphemy around here. Like you can't tell anybody from South Gastonia that like anything tastes better than crappy. Like they'll fight you over it. 
<laughs> but I mean, no, nobody... I can barely hear y'all. Oh, Daniel got it for $75. Nobody can tell me that crappy tastes better than striper. Oh, it does. No way. It's not even Dude, close. Crappy tastes five times better than striper. <laughs> you can't even compare the two. That's not even like apples. Well, apples you, you're just saying that because you like, don't want no you don't want nobody keeping no striper. That's why you're saying that. That's like trying to compare a banana to an apple. They're they're, they're not even close. Which is better, the banana or the apple? Uh, I don't know. Them apples. <laughs> I know some boys really like them apples. Yeah, some apples are good. I don't know. I like bananas. Let's talk about how sauger tastes. I don't think I've ever had any sauger. I haven't either. Hey, Laricky. Yeah, catfish, good, man. You know, a lot of people don't like catfish, but the only catfish they've ever eaten are farm-raised catfish from, like, restaurants and stuff. And, you know, they don't get that lateral line out of there. They don't get that red meat out of them. So, you know, if you catch an Arkansas blue and you get the red out, you know, it's 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 right below uh, striper, man. I mean, it's like, you know, striper's like Tom Brady and, and the blue catfish is like Peyton Manning. I mean, it's it's in the same, like, tier. Hey, I've just seen Larickies here. I can tell you a little story about Larickie Harkness. Me and Larickie and Kevin Wallace was fishing together in a creek on Russell. And I think I always called it DNR Creek because the DNR had a little like a little small shed actually on the water where they kept their boats. I like how you and said we water. were out there pulling gizzard shad one day and we got on some fish and these people on the other side of us over there. I'll be right back, Wes. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead and finish. Okay. Well, these people on the other side of us over there was not, you know, they wasn't catching no fish and Larricky caught Larricky caught it. He hooked up with a fish and it took him straight to the trees. That was a pretty big fish and we lost it. So we made a turn and come around and pull back through. And he had another fish on. And we got that fish to the boat, and I think it was 20, it was 20-something pounds. And that was Ricky's biggest dropper. And I just hollered out. I looked over at the boat, you know, and the guy threw his hands up like that. And I just hollered, big gizzy, babies, big gizzies. And, uh, and if I'm not mistaken, I think that's where Larricky come up with his team name when he's dropper fishes is big gizzy. Um but yeah, that was, I think that was my first year stopper fishing. Um, and me and Ricky and Kevin was fishing together. We all caught, we all, we all three caught some nice fish that morning down on Russell. I'll never forget it. Yeah, Ricky said, Big Easy was born that day. Ricky, that picture still comes up in my memories every now and then. He's holding that fish up like this right here, and you're smiling from ear to ear. So I'm trying to read some comments here. Oh, you're more than welcome, Ricky. Listen, I'll tell you, by the days when we were first starting striper fishing, it was just awesome. I mean, Russell. Russell will probably always be my favorite lake. I don't fish it a lot no more. Um, I fish the tail race every now and then, but those will be some days we'll never forget. And then, then you and Kevin, y'all sold me out. And 
went over to catfishing. I don't understand that, but. Chris Brown, what's Chris Brown jealous of, Richard? Chris Brown, are you jealous? He's a jabroni. Okay. Hey, I'll tell you one thing. Ricky Harkness could put on a clinic on pulling planer boards. I've never seen nobody could pull as many planer boards as he can to keep them straight. Um, I have heard Ricky has had as many as eight planer boards on each side. That's 16 boards that still catch fish. And I couldn't, there's no way I could do it. But Ricky, you would be perfect for Chesapeake Bay, brother. You could put 25 boards on each side of the boat and not have to worry about nobody getting in your line. All right. We done got off on saltwater stripers now. I can barely hear him. Gerald, I can barely hear you now, buddy. Hey, Scott Perry, somebody let me know how my audio sounded. Is my audio okay? <clears throat> Lariki, is my audio okay? Chris Brown says it's loud and clear, Wes. Uh, uh, audio is fine, Scott Perry says. So it must be on your end. Yeah, it must be. I can barely. But you said my audio is better. So. Yeah, your audio sounds great now compared to earlier. I mean, it sounds good regardless. But so Scott we're on the straw, saltwater know, fish. JR, Scott uh -huh. Perry wants to know can you order eels online? Have you ever yes. heard anybody? Can you have them shipped to you live? Artificial eels. You know, but I'm sure you can probably get some live eels through the mail. I know you, you can get live shiners through the mail, live minnows through the mail. Now, I mean, granted, you can't get um, live shad or. or or herring. You, know, you can't get any of these temperamental bait fish. But these hardy bait fish, absolutely. Goldfish. So you probably could get eels through the mail, I'm sure. But I mean, why would you? Wherever you're going, if you're going saltwater striper fishing, there'll be plenty of bait shops with eels. Unless you can get a much better deal online. That's pretty serious delay going on there. Can y'all hear me now? Yeah, I can actually hear me on your end. You know, hey, Eric, JR? Yes, sir. I'm going to leave and try to come back in. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll be waiting on you. Eric, um, you know, eels probably wouldn't do too bad. 
you know, even on lakes that uh, don't have eels. <laughs> Corey, turn the volume down on your end, Wes. Give a set of headphones. Let's see. No delay at the end. Bluebacks are best bait in Tennessee. <laughs> Uh, Bluebacks aren't allowed in Tennessee, are they, Shane? I know people take them there anyways. You know, and I think they have owl wives in Tennessee. So what's the difference? You know, people don't want to bring bluebacks because they'll, you know, let me bring Wes back in. All right. All right, you're well, back. I can hear you good. Is that better? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you good, yeah. Okay, good deal. <clears throat> So what's the deal with bluebacks in Tennessee, Wes? I know uh, Shane Howington, right there's the comment. Bluebacks are best bait for Tennessee. I didn't know that I could click on that the comment and it showed up. Listen, that, that's, that's Chris. I hope it's going to get somebody in trouble. It's illegal. Yeah, you know, people still illegal. do it. Yeah. The, the only difference from my understanding between an L-wise and a herring is you have to cut them open. And there's something about the color of the meat. Uh, I think it's the, the liner of, of the belly is black. Is that um, what it is? Yeah, on one or the other. Yeah, I just don't understand. I mean, aren't they both predatory bait fish? Aren't they both carnivorous? They are. Uh, it seems like they would act a lot in the same ways, but I guess they don't. I guess the blueback herring are more uh, pelagic. They probably go out, you know, offshore in the deeper water of lakes. You know, the, the owl wives, are, are, they tend to probably act a little more like a gizzard shad. But I don't well, know. Owl actually, wives will go deep, too. But the thing with the owl wives in Tennessee, from my understanding, and I could be wrong if somebody's on here that knows better than I do, but you're not even supposed to transport those in Tennessee. You can use them for bait, but you, they're supposed to be they're supposed to stay in the water that you catch them in if you're using them for bait. In other words, if you catch them, so you catch them in, in uh, say, on uh, Loudon. They don't want you taking them over to Watts Bar. They're not supposed to be in a bait tank transported from one body of water to another, even in Tennessee, even if both of those bodies of water hold L-Y. They want them to stay in the body of water they're in. Now, I don't know what the deal with that is. but Yeah, well, they're, they're carnivorous, and they will eat other fish's eggs. You know, so, you know, bass fishermen, you know, they – they get legislation on this stuff, you know. That yeah. if if they're proving that if biologists are proving that you know these bay fish are carnivorous, they're invasive, and they're eating other fish's eggs, and you know being detrimental to the population of said fish, you know they're going to make it illegal to bring those fish in. Like I'm sure that there are a lot of lakes that would have made it illegal to bring in white perch, yeah, or even flatheads. You know, I think that. Some biologists are actually trying to eradicate flatheads from certain uh, fisheries because of uh, they look at them as being uh, invasive and they're destroying other, you know, sport fish population that's, you know, bringing commerce or, you know, bringing, you know, an economical.
They are allowed. Hang on. There, I'm uh, back. I could you it. hear me? Could you still hear me? I could hear you. You just wasn't moving. All right, right. Okay. Well, Ricky Hartnett's got a question, and it's actually a good one. He wants to know when, when, when Striper hit like that, do they, do they, you know, smack and bait with their tail or do they hit it with their mouth open? Uh, about a month and a half ago, me and Todd was fishing together, and we were in some clear water, and I actually watched the striper come up on a trout, and he smacked that trout with his tail. You know, and he's trying to stun it. Uh, and I have, I've seen it twice where they actually come up with their mouth open and try to eat a trout pulling boards. You know, when I was, had them on a short leash, six or seven foot behind a board. Um, but I think for the most part, it just depends on what kind of mood they're in. I think sometimes they just want to kill stuff. Uh, I think when a striper, when you're pulling bait and a striped bass comes up and just smacks it with his tail, He's just trying to kill it. You know, sometimes they're not even hungry. They just, you know, they just want to kill something. That's just in their nature. That's just the way I see it. And I lost JR here. I'm still here, Wes. Ah, uh, buddy. I just see a picture of. Looks like somebody, I can't tell. Yeah, I'm, I'm grabbing a, a picture of Lariki. Oh, okay, okay. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, I think, you know, like I said, striper. And then sometimes I've heard this, you know, of course, they're greedy. There's Lariki. There's Lariki. You, know, uh, you know, you can be pulling a bait and a fish. Might not want that bait, but if another fish is around, he'll eat it just to keep another fish from getting it. So Absolutely. There's, there's a lot of things that trigger the fish to bite, not just striper, any fish, you know. Yeah, they're an animal. I mean, think about uh, dogs and cats, you know. If you got some stray dogs or stray cats out there that come up on your front porch and you throw a handful of food out there, they're going to be, you know, growling at each other. And they don't they, – they'll eat the food even if they're not hungry just to keep the other one from eating it. Yeah, but I think striped bass, if I'm not mistaken, they are labeled as the apex predator. Now, what is exactly does all that incur? It means they'll eat anything, and they and they like to kill. It means there, uh, there's nothing there to eat them. They're at the top of the food chain, baby. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're swimming through there, you know, like Mister, you know, no, nobody can touch them. Well, apex. I spoke to the guy. He was well. He said he spoke to a biologist when I lived in West Palm Beach years ago, and uh, you know, because my grandpa used to striper fish, and he, I remember, he told me he said one reason that striped bass swim the way they do, you know, they're one of the most elusive fish in the water of any of any species of fish. They're one of the most elusive, and even the freshwater striper in the freshwater impoundments, you know, and, and their DNA goes back. Every fish, this is a fact. Every fish in any freshwater reservoir in the United States, its lineage came from South Carolina. Yeah. You know, um, and, and they, they were talking about how, you know, a striped bass technically is a saltwater fish. They got landlocked <clears throat> and Lake Moultrie down there by accident. But short, long story short, a striped bass don't know he's in freshwater. 
his biggest enemy in saltwater is the what? A shark. So he does have he does have an enemy. He's not an apex predator in saltwater. Oh, they're Bass right. never stop swimming. They're trying to stay away from sharks. So all their main purpose is to stay alive, to eat, and make little babies. I think so, that uh, another reason they do that is the they just require a significant amount of dissolved oxygen. They're, that's a fact. They're not hardy at all. You know, they have yeah. to. I mean, they are hardy. They just require a lot of oxygen. <clears throat> but as far as the 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 monsters getting landlocked back in the day, you know, we've all uh, we all know that story. Bass fishermen, eight pound line catching. A giant fish running, you know, spooling them, breaking their line. Cat fishermen getting their lines broke. Crappy fishermen getting their lines broke. Not somebody finally lands one, and it's a trophy striped bass, you know. And they realize that they're anadromous. They can live in salt and fresh water. And uh, but why were they in there? So I think those striper had. You know, they, of course, they were migratory size. They were migratory class fish. So they were big enough and uh, old enough to have joined the migration. And they had came down and went up the uh, Santee River uh, no, to spawn. The Cooper, River. the Cooper River to yeah. spawn and got, got trapped by the new dam. That would be Panopolis Dam in the lock. So yes, they were every every lake or river in the nation that was stocked with Santee Fry was stocked. Well, I mean, that was stocked was stocked from Santee Fry. Yeah. But those fish, they weren't native to South Carolina. Those fish had migrated from up north, like just oh, like yeah, they're doing yeah. now. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I haven't heard nobody say. I'm just wondering if those fish. I, I haven't heard nobody say a striped bass ever still even go up the Cooper River. No, they don't. Not the migratory class, you know, and as far as why, you know, the water, the, we're just not getting as cold a weather as we used to. Those fish just don't, you know, they used to, a lot more used to come down even to uh, the Outer Banks area. And they still do. Uh, they're just, uh, they're not coming in as close. And, you know, 80, at least 80% of your migratory fish are, are going up into the Chesapeake Bay to spawn. So some of the fish would come into other estuaries and bays south or even north of Chesapeake Bay, but your majority of them was going up into Chesapeake Bay. Yeah. Well, you know, there years ago, there's a movie called Landlock, and it tells the whole story. Basically, you yeah. know, South Carolina, how the dam. Have you seen it? Where the, you know, I remember the that. I don't. I don't know that I watched it, but I remember when that came out, and I remember seeing it on something. And my grandpa, there's actually a picture of my grandpa in that documentary, and there he's with three other guys. You know, they're holding up some fish on string or some big striper. Wow, Wes, yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know that about your grandpa. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah, he was a striper fisherman. That's uh, awesome. But there was like in the video, Jr. They, they showed. If you ever get a chance, you ought to watch it. It's, it's really interesting. Anybody that likes the striper fish needs to watch that video. I um, agree, dude. They were like literally, you know, you, you're talking about wheelbarrows of fish. They were taking wheelbarrow. Wheel, I'm not exaggerating. You can see it in the video. They were loading wheelbarrows of forty and forty five pound striper 
at the fish camp like I mean because they had been in there for years. They were already been right. reproducing in there for years and they didn't have a clue that they were in there. Yeah, I don't know that they were reproducing. I don't I think they were just in there getting bigger. A lot of them were in there, but once they were catching those forty plus those trophy migratory fish, they were once they were catching them, you know, they were they were no more. They weren't actually reproducing. No, there were some fish we produced. They went all the way up to Santee, where at the confluence where the Congaree and the Watery merged right there. Yeah, back then, you're they, probably right, you know, because yeah, there weren't were there weren't as many dams. You know, those, those eggs have to tumble for 72 hours. Yeah, that's why the only place in the country where they would reproduce naturally now is, I think, the Roanoke River, because they're able to tumble for 72 hours before hitting a dam. Yeah. Or you know, not having enough current to to make them tumble. Oh yeah, they they only did. I think they said they were some. They had some fish they knew that had reproduced up the watery and the congaree years ago. But you know, like I said, they, they you know you know you got to have so many hours of the you know, and the larva can't touch right. nothing. It's got to be in motion. Um, and I like I said, I'm pretty sure that's not going on now. But back then, there was just so many fish there. I mean, it was just it's just crazy how they were in there for so many years and nobody even knew it. I think that, um, you know, all the ones that were the 40 plus that were getting caught were the migratory saltwater fish, you know, cause it takes a striper 20 plus years to get, you know, that size. So. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Boy, I'll tell you at one time that was, which now, you know, they, they changed the limits on them about four years ago. And from my understanding from some of the catfishermen down there that I talk to every now and then, they say they're catching a lot of 20 and 25 pound stripper down there now. Yeah. Because of the regulations. I mean, that just yeah. proves that, you know, strict regulations work. Yeah. That's a fact. Yeah. You know, Tennessee's pretty strict on their regulations. You know, we're extremely liberal on our regulations around here. You know, you go to Moss Lake, you're allowed to catch eight. You're allowed to keep uh, eight or ten fish. You know, I don't remember. I think Clark Hill is pretty liberal on there. I know they. I think they used to be, what, eight or ten fish down there, right, Striper? It's ten, it's, it's ten for life. Well, I say, for instance, a guy goes out and he's got four. Say he's got four people on his boat. They can keep ten fish apiece. There's forty fish, and then the guy. Yeah, because a looks at it. If he's got a license, which he does. They can catch fifty because his ten counts. So there's fifty. Exactly, fish exactly. And you, you're never going to have a trophy fishery with those type of regulations. You know, it's good for the guides. You know, because yeah. most most of their clients are meat fishermen. They're yeah. down there to catch fish. They want to take fish home. They don't feel like they don't feel complete and accomplished unless they can take a cooler of fish home. You yeah. know, they're not catering these regulations to us one percenters, quote unquote one percenters. The least our us trophy guys, you know, same way in the deer hunting world, you know, you got guys that get, that get, they get land and they want to turn it into a trophy, uh, hunting destination. And then you got guys that want to go put out corn and shoot everything. It's the same deal in the fishing world. You get guys, you know, everybody, everybody, you remember what it was like releasing that first fish. You know, I always wanted, I had a, I kept a stringer. When I went to the store, you know, I always bought a new stringer because I kept fish. Throwing fish back seemed ludicrous to me. That was the stupidest yeah. thing I'd ever heard. I was like, what? Throw fish back? Are you crazy? No way. I'm, I'm eating these brim. I'm eating these channel catfish. I'm eating these bass. I'm eating these uh, striper. Oh, my God. If I 
you know, once I got good enough to keep striper, the yeah, I was catching release in the grease all day. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't understand the whole. I ain't never heard that before. I like that. I didn't understand the whole, uh, you know, let them go, let them grow concept. Well, I, I didn't know this. Scott Perry just said, you know, striper kings for our area has really did a lot of for conservation. Um, uh, and I'm trying to think of his name right now. I'm friends with him. Uh, Warren Turner. Warren Turner is probably the only reason that we still have a few decent fish, fish, fish left in Russell. Warren Turner. Um, I've heard that yeah. name a million times in the striper industry. Warren's a good guy, hell of a fisherman. He did a lot for conservation for South Carolina. And I didn't know this, but Scott just commented he's the one, he's the reason that they got the regulations changed or striper kings. I'm sorry, let me back up. I'm sure Warren probably had something to do with it. I'm not sure, but striper kings is the one that got the regulations that re reinforced back down at Santee Cooper. So that's pretty cool. That's good. Corey Sharp, JR, how many trophy stripers have you caught? Uh, Corey, uh, freshwater. The biggest freshwater striper I've ever caught was with Drew Rankin. It was 38 pounds, and it was an honest, legitimate 38. It was uh, most people's 50. 50. Um, saltwater. Um, I have caught two citations in Virginia, and I've caught two citations in North Carolina. Uh, citation size in Virginia is 40 pounds. Citation size in North Carolina, I want to say, is 35 but yeah, I've caught two in each one of those states, and I've caught a, an ass load um, that is right up, right up close to you know just ounces shy of being a citation in both of those states. So I've done a lot of striper fishing. I, I hit it hard for about a decade. A uh, lot of saltwater striper fishing, and a load of freshwater striper fishing. But most of my freshwater striper fishing was was pulling four inch herring for party fish. You know, I just I didn't know about the trophy uh striper fishing techniques and uh, destinations i i fished southeastern reservoirs and i pulled you know blueback herring like most guys that are fishing for meat and uh that's that's what i was for a long time and i didn't i didn't learn about the uh how to trophy striper fish until i got in the savannah river chain gang and started hanging around guys like west rose and and Drew Rankin and Scott Perry and, you know, all those, all those guys, they, they kind of showed me the ropes on Chris Hovis, Shane real skipper. You know, those guys showed me the ropes on the whole Tennessee trophy striper fishery. You know, I knew about the Tennessee, you know, concrete cowboy fishery. I just didn't know about the whole, uh, you know, river fishing, pulling big trout trophy fishery. So. Tennessee is, it, it, Tennessee is on base. Uh, you know, like I said, a lot of guys, you know, there's just numerous, numerous people's one up there, like you said, want to do it by themselves. They're going to go up there and catch a big fish. There's no telling how many how many props and how many lower units have been lost to forever because people go wide open. They're in a river where it's, it's 12 foot deep right here, and you go 100 feet and you're in, in, in rocks is a foot below your boat. You know, um, yeah, I would recommend anybody that wants to go up there and fish to hire a guide. Hire a guide, you know, yes. Yeah, I mean, or, and there again, or you know, if you know I, someone, go with go someone ahead. that know that knows the area. Like I went with Drew Rankin, you know, and he, I went with Hovis and Real and all those boys. And, you know, they they showed me one river, but Drew Rankin showed me several rivers, and 
he took me places, you know, crystal clear water, cold, cold water in the summertime. It blew my mind because I am looking at things from, you know, I have a, a journal in my head of water temps, you know, what they should be. And he's taking me to places where water temps should be in, a, in the upper 80s. And these water temps are in the 50s. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have I'm lost. I have. Like, do you fish it like you would in December, January? I mean, this, these are like these are cold water temps in, in the middle of the summer. So this is it's, it's completely different world up there. Hey, Scott, Corey, Corey Sharp had a good question. And I'm going to tell you, I, I used to wonder about this. And I actually asked Todd this one time. Corey wants to know, do I think Striper can eat skipjack without a hook in them? You know, I've always wondered that for a simple fact. And I'm sure there's, I don't, I guess maybe they eat them when they're dead or if they're lethargic or they're sick or they can't swim fast. But if you've ever seen a skip, I've put a, I've put a 10 on hook in a skipjack before and he just raises hell. I meant just all over the place. Just, and I've just always wondered how a striper, a 40 pound fish, catches a skipjack if he don't have a hook in it. Have you ever thought about that? Or do they just try to ambush them? Or, well, you know, I'm, think, I'm, I'm thinking that. Skipjack are carnivorous, but they are in schools. I think they're in school. They're not a solitary, so they're they're at least in you know small schools. So yeah, if I think maybe a striper probably finds an eddy if they're in current, they find an eddy somewhere where there's not any, not as much current, and but there's current, you know, they're facing current or current is directly adjacent to them and. You know, maybe they wait on a school of skipjack to come by. And if that one comes out of that school, you know, like, you know, if you look at the sardines on on the National Geographic channel, you know, the underwater out there in the blue water, you know, you could see really well. And you see these giant schools of sardines, you know, they, they, they school for it's a defense you know, mechanism. So they're schooling to, you know, keep from from, from them getting wiped out. And uh, these predatory fish are on the outsides of these schools. And if if one of these fish you know, come that aren't tight in the school, and then that's when they're more most vulnerable. And I think skipjack are the same way. Uh, Corey, I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, I do have a very expensive depth finder on my boat. I don't know if I've ever marked skipjack or not. Of course, you know, I've marked a lot of bait, and I would guess most of the time what I'm marking is gizzard. You know, and maybe Elwise in Tennessee, I've marked a lot of herring down here. A big pods of bait. But as far as the skipjack, the way they do, they're so fast. I don't know if maybe I've marked one before by accident coming under the boat, but no, I've never really actually looked at my depth finder and said, hey, that's skipjack. Um, that's a good question, too. I Honestly, I, I can't answer that honestly because I don't know. I've got $3,800 worth of electronics and a depth finder on my boat. It probably ain't quick enough to pick up skipjack, to be honest with you. That'd be my opinion. Matthew Peace West says, uh, where do you guys fish? I'll let you go first. Uh, well, you know, it, there's really no secrets no more in Tennessee. Um, you know, we fish the main thing, East Tennessee. You've got Watts Bar. You've got Melton Hill. Um, you know, you got the Little Tennessee River. you got Loudon. Then you get up to Middle Tennessee. You know, then you got the Cumberland River. And there's, you know, you can fish Cordell Hall. Up on Cordell Hall, you can fish below Cordell Hall, which is Old Hickory. And you can fish on the court on uh, the Cumberland there. It goes all the way up through Kentucky. So I mean, wow. there's just there's just 
We're going to have to do an episode on Tennessee striped fishing. Uh, there's just numerous, numerous miles, you know, of where you can fish up there. Uh, if you've never been and you want to go, if you want to learn it, like I said, hire a guide. And anybody that, you know, people say, well, you, you did this, you had to hire a guide. Yeah, I hired a guide. If there's anywhere you need a guide in freshwater striper fishing, it's Tennessee. Here's the deal. I hired a guide three years ago. Look on my wall. See how that $500 paid off? And I've got yes, new pictures. And if you look at the top, I've got four citation fish from Virginia. I hired a guide first time I went up. No, I didn't. First time I went, I went with Jeff Hill and Jeff Lamb. The second year, I took a guide out because... That was the only way I could get up there to fish. But if you look up there at the very top, you see that citation up there from Chesapeake Bay, Virginia. I've got three fish over 50 pounds up there. And if you're real cool like Wes Rose, you can befriend those guides and become friends with them. And then you have this, this unlimited uh, wealth of knowledge that you can you know, tap into for the rest of your life. <laughs> well, I, I, I will tell you, you know, I, I try to like everybody. I think there's a lot of people don't like me, and I'm okay with that. Um, but I think most of the people that do like me know I see what's on my mind. You know, if I don't like you, you'll be the first one to know I don't like you. I'm not going to talk about you behind your back. I'm not going to get on social media or get in the boat with somebody else to talk about you behind your back. If I don't like you, you'll 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 be the first one to know that I don't like you. Guys, if you want to be friends with West Rose, you better be real. Just be yourself. That's the only thing I can suggest you with Wes. Just be yourself. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, Matthew Peace, as far as where I fish, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a cat fisherman now. I'm not really a, a striper fish. I, I do a, a, a little bit of striper fishing from time to time now. I'm mostly a cat fisherman now. But uh, when I used to striper fish, I did most of my striper fish. You know, I would take trips to Tennessee and, you know, Clark Hill and, you know, the Savannah River chain. But most of my striper fishing was Lake Norman, actually. And Lake Norman, you know, they were very, they had 20, 24 to uh, 30 inch stripers. They, they were basically two by fours. They were, you know, five to, I don't know, five to 15 pound, I guess. And um, it was just such a great fishery. You know, Lake Norman is just full. If you look at Lake Norman on the map, you'll see. It's full of creeks. It's just an awesome reservoir. It's, it's the biggest reservoir in North Carolina. It's got a, a crap load of, of creeks. It's got a crap load of just main lake points. It's got points on islands, you know, secondary points, uh, dock lights. And it's just an amazing uh, fishery for striper. But unfortunately, it's a, a reservoir that is used to uh, for drinking water and municipal water sources. So they pull a lot of water it's a hydro dam on lake norman so they pull a lot of water a lot of uh the thermocline they destroy it in the summertime and when they destroy that thermocline in the summertime from pulling water those fish get trapped you know the thermocline is only so uh takes up so much area so much of the water column you know the so when they start to pull it those from the deep water intakes they destroy the thermocline which makes it smaller and smaller and smaller and what happens is those those striper get locked into uh, a very narrow portion of the water column they run out of dissolved oxygen and they die 
you know, and that's how you have striper kills. Most of the time, that's the reason you have striper kills on these southeastern reservoirs. You know, we have them on Murray and, you know, a, a lot of other reservoirs, but nothing like we had on Lake Norman. And, and it was just, it was at least, you know, several thousand every year. And then around 2011, 12, somewhere around in there, we had a huge uh, striper kill. They, you know, I think there was something like 30,000 some odd stripers floating down at on the lower end of the reservoir. So DNR decided that it just wasn't feasible to stock stripers in there anymore. And when they stopped stocking striper, they started stocking hybrids and, you know, hybrids, they just don't fish the same way that stripers do. You know, I used to be able to go up there and, and I could limit out by myself on Lake Norman, you know, just throwing, you know, bomber long and red fins at night on points. I could limit out very easily when, you know, there were stripers in there. And then since the striper kill and now they're stocking hybrids, you know, that as far as casting points with red fins at night, you know, those days are over, you know, as far as, you know, just fishing your traditional, you know, trolling like you would for striper is, is pretty much done on Lake Norman. Now it's hybrids. Now you're out there, you're, you're, you're looking for schools of fish, you know, you're, you're, you're casting to them with free lines you're pulling alabama rigs it's just once it started getting like that as that's when i started catfishing because in order to maintain uh, being a striper fisherman i was going to have to do a lot of traveling and i just my you know my daughter was young and i was like you know what i can go after these these blue catfish these things get up to you know in local lakes they get up to 50 60 70 pounds so yeah i'm going to start targeting these giants instead of the, the stripers so that's where I'm at on that. Well, Jr. Uh, uh, Travis, ask your question again. I can't see. I'm trying to keep up with some of the comments. But uh, uh, Brian Snipes, I've seen your comment. I'm going to tell you all who Brian Snipes is. I think he's the president of the Southern Catfish Conference or something in there. I may have that wrong. He's the president of something to do with the catfishing. I should know more than that. But Brian Snipes, I'll call Brian, and I've seen a picture of a guy that he made a cabin for on Facebook. So I messaged him, and he sent me his number, and I called him and told him what I had. I sent him a picture and told him what I wanted. Well, he said, yep, I can make you what you want. And I guess most of the people that's on this feed right now have seen my boat or seen the cabin. Words can't even explain how good a job he did. Now, let me, and when I say this, he didn't have a blueprint. He didn't have a schematic. He had nothing but a damn tape measure. And this right here. And he put that cabin on my boat for me. You know, he did the work, the glass. I think he told me he had over like 200 foot of tubing. Um, and if you look at the top of my, anybody that's ever looked at it real close, the screws, everything is uniform. The rivets, the way he bolted it to, I mean, and it's removable. I can take that off. Um, you know, and Brian did this for me for $5,000 and did it in a little over a month while working a full-time job. So Brian is a man's man. You know, yeah, he runs Brian's the Southeastern like, Catfish Trail. He's the... Okay, that's it, yeah. Yeah, he commissions well, that. Yeah, well, Brian, Brian Snipes, in fact, Brian, I don't know if you're still on here, Bobby Parker texted me today a picture that I need to send you. I forgot to send it to you today. Bobby's got a Starcraft that he just redid, and, and it looks like it just come out of the factory. And he wants a cabin made on it, and he's got a picture of it I'm going to send to you, and I sent him your information. But, uh, 
Yeah, Brian is just amazing how somebody could do that with a tape measure. I mean, and it's perfect. It looks like he did for five thousand dollars what CR wants eight thousand dollars for a cub, and that's not even put on the boat. You know, I mean, and I think I sent it to a guy named Scott at CR Boats, and he said, "Let he said, I believe that's that's the first enclosed center console boat I've ever seen like that." I mean, this, you know, and I told him how I had it. You know what? Who did it? And, you know, what I went through to get it done. Brian Snipes is an awesome guy. He's, he's he is. A dude. Um, he is. If I was going to have an enclosure built, that's definitely who I would get to build it. I, I seen the video where you were showing, you know, your, your, how he built your pilot house or enclosure, whatever you want to call it. And just such a bang up job. The guy is a beast. Hey, okay. Tra JR, Travis has got a question. Okay. It says, he says, "How has your how has your decision to openly share help and info to other fishermen impacted on your own experiences and being so secretive and not being so secretive like everybody else or something? Does it come back to you?" Well, I, I think like Wes is a perfect example. You know, Wes has seen he has and he Wes hasn't climaxed. Wes, his ceiling is higher than than most fishermen out there that are, you know, in the content creating world. You know, Wes goes live a lot. You know, he's not he's not posting like edited videos or anything, but he's going live. And Wes is extremely um, notorious. He's well known. You know, everybody knows Wes Rose, and that's he's just a perfect example of, you know, being secretive, tight lipped isn't the way to go it's um if you look at your your most successful people in any business like look at real estate for example your most successful real estate realtors are guys that give seminars you know look at george pavaramo in the fishing world extremely successful what does he do he gives seminars he tells everybody everything he knows he tells everybody his secrets now granted we're all going to take secrets to our grave you know i don't care who you are you're not going to tell everybody every single little detail but sharing knowledge is what it's all about you know you have to you know you you can't be this the secretive type unless you just you're, you want to be one-dimensional you know if if you want to go out and do the same thing every single time and be the best at it then that's fine but if you want to go if you want to be the a jack of all trades and and master all of them then you're going to have to learn to share because that's that's the kind of lifestyle you need to pursue if you want to to be successful in this sport. You know, if you want to get good at not just pulling bait, if you want to get good at cut baiting, if you want to get good at uh, trolling with downriggers, if you want, you know, you're going to have to. People aren't going to just share information uh, with you for nothing. You know, basically everybody wants you to give them something for the information they give you. As Scott Perry, as far as your question goes, that I use drifting sticks, man. Drifting sticks don't get hung up. You didn't know that? Hey, Jeff Bill, let me tell, let me say, listen, I'll give credit where credit's due. It don't matter whether I like you, whether I don't like you. There's a lot of people I don't like, but I respect them. Um, you know, but I'm going to say, I, I'm going to say this about Jeff Peel. Jeff Peel has probably helped me as much as anybody. And when I say this, um, the first time I went to Chesapeake Bay, Jeff invited me up there. Actually, me and Todd. First time I ever met Chesapeake Bay in my life, I got on the boat with Jeff Hill. I called a 47-pound striper. It's static. We put it on Facebook. 
An hour later, less than an hour later, Michael Walker's on the phone trying to get a damn Uber driver to bring him from Alabama to Chesapeake Bay. <laughs> well, now this is a true story now. So I remember this. Jeff, Jeff called Jeff. I told Jeff, I said, what's he want? Jeff said, he's trying to get an Uber. I said, dude, Uber, hit that charge. Anyway, long story short, to called Jeff back. He said, no, nah, man, they wanted $3,000 to bring me up there. So <laughs> Michael Walker gets on an airplane. That day, flies to Norfolk, Virginia, gets a cab from the airport, from Norfolk, the airport there, comes across the bridge, and we go downtown Cape Charles. And we come I was and living they, vicariously through Michael Walker that during all this. I was, he, was going, he, was, he was going live a lot, yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. So we pick him up. He's coming out of some, wine, some kind of wine tasting store. Now, here you have Michael Walker with a beard. He looks like he just come off Duck Dynasty <clears throat> with a backpack on. And, and downtown Cape Pearls were a bunch of, when I say rich white folks live, so I don't think they've ever seen anything like him before. So we pick him up. So we go out fishing the next day. Todd Asher catches a fish. Now I'm going to say it's pretty close to 50 pounds. It's bigger than the one I caught. Then Walker catches one. It was bigger than the one I caught. Well, then the next day, me and Todd go out with Jeff Lamb. I caught another 47-pound fish. I'm just wondering if that's the same damn fish, to be honest with you. So that was my first trip to Chesapeake Bay. Uh, that was courtesy of Jeff Peel. When I started striper fishing, Jeff Peel told me about some places in Tennessee. He didn't tell me where to fish, but he said, hey, there's fish here if you want to go hunt them. He tried to explain the generation schedules to me. He said, you know, you do this and do that. He didn't give me no exact spots. Uh, you know, he didn't drop no pins for me. He just kind of gave me a starting point. I went yep. and done it. The first time I ever fished that creek, and y'all, I think every few people on here knows what I'm talking about. Me and James Long had one of the most epic nights of cut bait in our life. We caught four fish over 40 pounds. James I remember caught that. Fish that would, I swear, was over 50 pounds. But we caught seven fish. That, that was night. one of those nights like you had with Shane Howington. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. You know, so, and, and there again, like I said, Jeff Hill, Jeff Hill's very knowledgeable. Jeff's a great fisherman. And Jeff Hill helped me out a lot. And I think Drew, a lot Drew told me here. that a lot of the information Drew gets is from Jeff. Yeah. Drew, so, you know, I'll give credit where credit's due. Jeff really helped me out a lot. Jeff's a good guy. I like giving Jeff a hard time. Jeff said, so, JR. Um, we can talk about the boat ramps without you blocking me off the page. Yes, of course. The thing, the thing is, Jeff, I, I have um, never targeted trophy stripers in Tennessee, except for, you know, tail race fishing, you know, bulls, fishing bulls. And when you got a group of guys that take you to some, um, to some quote unquote secret places, and, you know, to put you on some big fish, you know, where a lot of people suspect, you know, the next, you know, record could come. Hey, I'll be right know? back. Okay. Right. And they, and they tell you to, you know, not to tell anyone. And then, then you see a guy on Facebook blasting the, the, the boat ramp, you know, telling everyone exactly where we were, et cetera. Of course, I'm going to come to their defense. That's me coming to their defense. That These guys showed me something and uh but but yeah i mean as far as uh that type of fishing is, is a little closer to really the only the only type of fishing that uh 
people should justifiably be tight-lipped about would be crappy fishing. Like, you know, you have brush piles, you know, you make artificial uh, fish attractors, you know, with crappy out of PVC or whatever. And, you know, you go out, you put these, these brush piles, you know, you drop them at, at, at certain locations, certain, you know, coordinates. And you, when you, whenever you do, I don't know if you've ever done that. I've done that a couple of times, but I've probably got about around eight or so attractors on Lake Norman. And, you know, I made those attractors. I took them out and I'm getting out there at, at three o'clock in the morning. And I'm the reason I'm getting out there at three o'clock in the morning is so nobody can see me because I'm going down the river with these giant attractors in my boat. You know, and if people see me, they're going to come, they're going to hit the waypoint. And basically they're going to get to come fish my, that my homemade structure that's going to inevitably hold fish, you know, for, for nothing. They're not going to, they didn't do anything. You know, I was the one that went to Lowe's. I was the one that, that spent the money and I was the one that took time out of my life to make these things and, you know, put these things out there so I could go fish them in the spring. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of like that, you know, there's, um, especially like places like Tennessee, you know, there's a limited amount of trophy areas to fish up there, but, uh, am I, uh, was I right for, uh, you know, wanting to protect those spots from getting known to everyone. Hey, that's up for debate, but I'd do it again. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you that. Well, you know, Michael Walker told me one time, I learned one, two things from Michael Walker and Scott Perry. The first thing was the biggest secret in striper fishing is where they're biting at the time you're catching them. Yeah. The second thing Scott Perry told me, let's talk about pictures. I've put pictures on Facebook before. A 20-pound fish looked like he was 50 pounds, and a 50-pound fish looked like he was 30 pounds. A pitcher does not – you cannot do a fish justice. And yeah. Do not put weight. I don't know if you've noticed. When I post a picture of a big fish now, when I do, I never put weight on it. Because it don't matter what you say it is, somebody's mm. going to say, oh, man, that fish ain't that big, or that fish looks bigger. Most of the ain't time, that, the that fish ain't that big. So if you don't put a weight on Facebook, you keep a lot of drama down. And I started doing that about a year ago. You got guys, both ends of the spectrum. You got guys that want to stretch their arms and make that fish look as big as possible. You got guys that are knowledgeable on lenses. I mean, look at Zach Royce. He used, obviously, he's using a wide angle lens, whether it's a GoPro or whatever. Whatever it is, it's a wide angle. And a wide angle lens, the closer you get to the object, the bigger the center of that object is going to be. Yeah. So there are ways to make a fish look bigger without extending your arms way out, just with the lens. And, you know, and then you got the guys that are the opposite of that. They're like, Oh no, I don't, I don't want to make, let, make people think I'm making it bigger. And they'll actually hold it up as close to their body as they possibly can. And I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, my, I like to hold a fish where you're obviously making it look a little bit bigger because you are, you know, extending your arms a little, but you still have a good bend in your elbow you're keeping that fish good and low. It just makes it look good. And yes, of course, it's making it look a little bit bigger than it is, but I think that's okay. I like it. Well, you know, there again, like, and I've seen people put pictures on Facebook and, and I don't care who you are. I don't give a damn unless you're a bodybuilder. You're just, and I don't have a lot of upper body strength. I'm a little bitty fella. I don't weigh but about 215 pounds. Little bitty fella. Aren't you like, aren't you like six, four or something? You're not a little yeah, bitty fella. But you can't tell me the average man is going long arm a 45 or a 50 pound fish holding it up. That I don't believe that because that 50 pound, 50, 
52-pound fish I caught two years ago in Tennessee, I, it was all I could do to get that fish up and hug it and hold it up here with the fish flipper and tell the camera to take my picture. And I thought I was going to die mm -hmm. when I laid that fish down. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not that strong of a person anyway. That's why God made guns. But <laughs> you can't tell me that the average person is going to hold a 40 or 50-pound striper out and just long arm it. It don't happen. I'd have to see it to believe it. The, Chi the Chinese made guns, by the way. <laughs> oh, God gave them knowledge. But, you know, Scott I mean, Perry says, if you are in a spot where you know there is fish, wait. You are fishing for fish that are coming, not ones that are there. That's my opinion. I, I totally agree. You know, we're, you know, us as fishermen, unless you're a guide, and if you're a guide, you know, you're doing it for a living, you're out on the water, you know, several days a week, you're staying on top of those fish, you know, you know, you know where those fish are. If you're like me and like most people, you know, that have jobs, you know, but the most we're going to fish once, twice a week, you know, depending if you have a family or what have you, but you know, we're not, we're not exactly out there staying on top of the fish. So all we can do is go where we think the fish should be. So, yeah. Yeah, go where you think they should be, and if they're not there, I absolutely wait. Jeff Peel said, and listen, it's, I was thinking about this earlier. You know, he said, in the beginning, I've talked way too much, and he's learned how to be quiet. Well, two years ago, I guess everybody knows now because I've got a stump named after me. If I die, if anything, I'm famous for a stump. But, you know, I, I found some <laughs> fish up there. And I and you know, Jason, because we were talking to you that night on the phone. I was mm -hmm. just ecstatic, patting myself on the back, and I just literally blew that fishery up. I still need my ass kicked for doing it. I regret doing that now. Really Did you do. blow it up? You talking about the night that you went live and you were talking, to, or no? You called me, but you were live. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you blew know, it up that night. Was, everybody knew where I was fishing. I was putting pictures up, wasn't trying to blur the background out. You know, and I had people boosting. So it was guys people. that were familiar with Tennessee because I sure as hell didn't know where you were fishing. But, you know, a lot of the guys did. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is, you know, it, it's I'll share a lot with people. I, I mean, I've put I took Travis Pace there, put him on his personal best. I took Alan Allen there, put him on his personal best. I took Anthony Finley there, put him on his personal best. So that's three people on my boat that's got their biggest striper. That's what makes me feel good. I like to watch people catch other. Well, fish. you might as well add me to that list because even though I was on another boat, I was there because of you. Yeah, but I mean, do I? I, I like doing stuff like that. Personal, personal people, yeah. But I should have well, never. Not me, but Lacey. What I was doing on that fishery, and that's what Jeff's talking about. I've learned right. to be quiet. If you know where I'm right. fishing now, because I really like you, and I don't care if you come fishing there. I don't put on Facebook no more. Yeah, I might put I'm going to Tennessee, but you'll never see me put on Facebook no more where I'm going or what I'm doing. There's a few people know, and that's You could it. probably still go live, but maybe just be more selective on when you're holding your phone, you know, right. what background people can see. Yeah. But yeah, back to what I was saying about uh, I wasn't on your boat, but Lacey, that, that's another PB that you can claim because, you know, I was Lacey was fishing with me on Alan's boat. Yeah. But, um, you know, he caught that was his PB, 30 something pounds. And, uh, you know, we were there because of you. We wouldn't have been there if it weren't for you. Yeah. Well, that was a heck of a night. I mean, I enjoyed, man, me and Alan had a blast. And just watching people get excited now, 
you know, um, like Todd said, Todd said, you know, when he goes fishing now, he said, Wes, he said, I just like to watch fish. He said, I love watching my son catch a fish. He said, there's nothing like it. He said, we just, we go we go to catch skipjacks sometimes. Just let him catch skipjacks. So sometimes today I've got out of where it's not, it's not all about me. And it's just not about what I want. I enjoy doing stuff for other people. I've helped a lot of people. You know, there's a lot of people probably that we got 13 watching that's been on this feed tonight that I'm sure that I hope that I've helped in some way or another. Um, you know, and that's just what life's about. You know, this shit trying to be secretive and I ain't telling nobody nothing. I'm just doing this. I'm catching me. I want to share it with somebody because somebody shared something with me because if they didn't, I wouldn't know what I'm doing now. I'd, I'd still be down there at Lake Russell pulling planer boards till the paint wore off of them and they hadn't caught nothing. Hey, man, the more people we can get in the sport, the better. Yeah. You know, that's we're, we can get a lot more done. You know, the more people that are doing it, you know, it's the same reason that, uh, like Norman said, F it, we're not stocking any more stripers. We're going to yeah. stock hybrids from now on because there weren't enough striper fishermen to, to care. You know, every, you know, bass fishermen are your, your dominant, uh, fishermen. They get stuff done. Yeah. But you know, Drew, I've had so much help, man. I mean, I, I, I could spend an hour here telling you people, uh, like I said, Jeff Peel, Todd Asher, Drew Rankin. Drew Rankin's helped me immensely. You, I've learned a lot from you already. Uh, you know, Chris Hovis, Daniel Skipper. Um, I've had so many people on my boat that I've learned from. I don't, there's no telling how many people I fish with now. You know, yep. and, and I've just learned so much from people like Zach Watts. I have uh, too. You know, just just so many people. You know, and it's not you. Don't, you'll never know everything about fishing. Somebody can always show you something if you give them a chance to show you. Yeah, if you look at um, like look at Hovis. You know, one of Hovis's best friends is a guide in in Tennessee. You know, Matt, Anthony Johnson. Yeah. You know, those guys, uh, they know each other extremely well. And, uh, you know, Hovis built bait tanks. You know, Hovis has been in the industry for a long time. And uh, he's – a lot of his experience is from the Catawba River stripers. And if, if you can if you can be halfway successful at striper fishing on the Catawba River, then you can be successful anywhere striper fishing. Chris because – People's got it in their head that you got to catch big stripers to be a good striper fisherman. They're no. some of the best striper fishermen I know have never even caught a, a trophy striper. You know, look at, you know, Mac, your Mac Byrams and, you know, your, uh, well, I can't think of anyone else at the moment, but there are a lot of guys that, that are very good striper fishermen that, that don't catch trophy stripers. Yeah. It's not all about the big fish. Same way with any fishery, catfishing, trout fishing. Well, you know, Hovis, believe it or not, you know, a lot of people just know Chris, you know, for making the bait tanks and the Shad Shack bait tanks. But like I said, Hovis has been going to tip me. You know, I've talked to, I was talking to Hovis maybe a week ago. Uh, and we were talking about Tennessee. And I didn't realize he was telling me stories. And I said, damn, how long have you been going up there? You know, Hovis has been going up for almost 20 years. Yeah. They, there's parts of them creeks up there that he's been on that I'd be scared to walk across, much less run a boat in. Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of knowledge there. And, you you know, we're, we're Chris Chris Hovis and Shane Reel and them boys, they were up there fishing when you didn't have Facebook. You didn't, you didn't have cell phones. You still had pagers. Yeah. You know, they learned from rivers if, on their if own. You'll, I'm sure. If you'll notice, Shane and Hovis, they always take someone. And the reason they're taking someone is because – 
that passion has it's worn off with them. Yeah. You know, they're they're no longer their heart's not beating the way it used to. So they take guys like me, Skipper, T. Evans, you know, everyone that they take, they're living vicariously through them. They they want to see that look on their face. They want to they want to live through them when they because they remember how that feels. You know, they've been doing it so long. They don't they don't know how they don't know how that feels anymore. Yeah, they like to they like to see it through you. You know, and they're just ex extremely experienced fishermen. They're you know they're modest. You know, they talk junk. It's almost like they want people to not like them sometimes. But they're well, such they're such great guys. Ogus is scared to have a friend. I don't know what's up with him. But, you know, like, like Todd told me, he's from West. He said, and I understand what he's saying now. He said, I used to love to catch big fish. He said, I actually enjoy watching other people catch. Cause like when man, last time me and Todd were together fishing for big fish, we found some fish. You know, and that first fish hit. And he kept trying to hand me the rod. I said, no. I said, I came up here with you for you to catch a fish. So Todd finally reeled in a fish. And 20 minutes later, he was out of breath. I said, damn, you, you know, were you out of breath for? He said, man, it's been so long since I caught a fish, I forgot how to do it. <laughs> how much genius it was. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just watching other people. Like I said, Alan, Travis, uh, hell, Travis Pace. He caught that 43. We caught that 43-pound fish on a full moon that night. As soon as he got back to Greenville, he come, he went down to Outdoors, our local tackle stop, and I think he spent about $2,000 on rod and reel just to get him started. Wow. <coughs> so, Jeff Bill you know, said he's going to cut that stump off and mail it to you, Wes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, let me tell you another story about that stump. We made a trip up there. Or no. Somebody else had one up there and sent me a picture or something. I think it might have been T. Evans. And they put a penny on the stump. And I went back up there about two weeks later. And I forgot who was with me. I'll tell them about it. And they said, damn, that penny's still here on the stump. Sure enough, that penny was still on that stump. It better wow. been on that stump, never moved. Wow. But, you know, um. There again, if I'm if I'm ever famous for anything, I've got a stump named after me. If you look on Navionics, and I still say Jeff. I know. Is. I saw that. Yes, that is amazing. It's not just that. Field. There's a lot of stuff on Navionics that, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that, that's my fault. That was my own doing. <laughs> Robert yeah, Modlin uh, said, I was the first person to take Hovis striper fishing and it was snowing on Lake Norman. That's that's awesome. Who was? Uh Robert Modlin. Oh uh, Robert Modlin. Oh yeah. Yeah. Or Modlin. Modlin. <laughs> Robert Modlin. That's pretty cool, Robert. That was uh that's pretty cool. But that's the only time that Hovis wasn't a peckerhead. <laughs> I think the biggest thing, and and, and I kind of flip-flopped it. I was going more on what everybody was doing, and I'd call. And Jeff, I used to work Jeff Fields' ass out on the phone. But he had always helped me. Jeff, what's the generation schedule at such and such? I want to go fishing. Can I fish there? That's the thing about Jeff. Jeff's got the, the thickest skin, I think, of anyone I know. You know, That's no, why people, that's why people, well, people give him an awful – people that. give him an awful big heart. They give him a hard time. A lot of people give Jeff a hard time. Tell him, tell him he can't shoot pool and watch him start crying. <laughs> but no, seriously, those water schedules up there, if you want to fish the way we fish, 
my recommendation to anybody would be to learn what that flow is and watch when it's going to start. Because, see, here, here's the deal. Depending on where you're fishing, what you want to fish, say, say Cordell, we're going to use Cordell Hall for an example. You don't really have to go a lot by their schedule because there's a lot of deep water. But say, for instance, on a certain river, they're going to be running 8,000, just hypothetically speaking. Okay, so you say, well, hey, I'm going to go up that river and fish. They're running 8,000. I'm good. You take off up that river. But you got to figure how long is it going to take once they start running that water for it to get down so far to where you want to fish. You got to know where you want to fish. Right. You got to know what that water, what that flow is. And then you got to hope that they don't turn it off for whatever reason, because I've seen two videos and numerous pictures of T. Evans' big ass and Shane Real trying to pick a John boat up and floating it because they cut the water off on So, you know, there's just a lot of things. It ain't just go to Tennessee and go up a river and pull painter boards and catch a fish. It's not. Exactly. Yeah, Drew went into that. You know, you got to keep that in mind. If You know, you got to learn, you know, depending on how far you are from the dam, you know, about how much, how much water they're running. Now, how long is it going to take for that current to reach you? Yeah, exactly. There's just a lot of stuff, you know. Well, Wes, it's uh, 9.50, so we've been on here going on two hours, man. So we're down to nine people, so I guess I guess we should probably go ahead and call it. It was uh, a good show. Scott Perry just made a comment. You know, back in the day, we all tried to be slick, and – uh. I seen Scott Perry. I was at the intersection at Pleasantburg Drive, and he had the blue beam behind him. And he was coming, come down 25. So I know where he coming from. I said, What are you doing, Scott? He said, I'm nothing. What are you doing? I said, Nothing. I said, Where you been? He said, What makes you think I've been anywhere? I said, Where you been? He said, I ain't been nowhere. I said, Yeah, you have. <laughs> I said, You got the blue beam behind you right now. You just get back to Tennessee. And then I could see him. He was looking around. He couldn't see me. I was on the phone. <laughs> I said, Scott, I'm looking right at you. He looked at me, said, where are you at? Where are you at? I said, you at the and he looked, and I said, now tell me where you've been. Yeah. I thought I'd go to Tennessee for a couple of days. Yeah, he must not have done too good. He was, no, he was he tight. Was trying, he was tight. He was, to, he was trying to sneak back in, and I caught his ass. We're going to have to, on the next show, we're going to have to, or, or at one point, we're going to have to tell talk about our little uh, Savannah River trip, <laughs> me, you, and Scott. So that that ought to be interesting. I think if they don't back out on us, you know, it's, it's, I know everybody's got different schedules, but Daniel Skipper and Chris Hovis is supposed to be our guest next week, so that ought to be pretty good. That's going to be a good show. I'm, Thursday, yeah. I'm sorry, this Thursday, this Thursday, Chris Hovis and Daniel Skipper. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, hey, thanks for watching, and uh, this has been a great episode of Real Fisherman, and we will see you. Not tomorrow, but the next day, Thursday. That's right. Daniel Skipper and Chris Hovis. Good night, everybody. Good night, Wes. Hey, thanks, everybody. Thank y'all for watching. Y'all have a good one. See ya. Bye-bye.